Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Our word today comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 28 and 31 through 39. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a woman, slightly middle-aged, a little bit small. She's one of the most powerful women in New York City. And if you followed her through her life, you would not immediately anticipate that you were dealing with a powerhouse here. She'd go from her uh, small apartment, maybe in Queens or 
parts of Manhattan, take the train or the bus to her job. And that's where the power comes from. And you'd see her put on her uniform, and you'd be like, huh, this is interesting. She'd put on a badge and the uniform of a New York City police officer. And then she would proceed to go out into the middle of 41st Street, right at about 10th Avenue, and stand in the middle of the street. 41st Street and 10th is the entrance to the Lincoln Tunnel. It's one of the busiest intersections in the world. There's all these cars converging on this one place. And if you've ever tried to get out of New York City by vehicle, you know this very well. You're like, how on earth did they conceive of this horrible idea? And this woman goes and she stands in the middle of that intersection and she says, you can go now. You cannot. Now, this is an interesting study because if you're like me, you sometimes walk in the middle of pedestrian crossings and somebody's coming at you a little fast and I look at them and I'm like, yo man, slow down, settle down, like a Jedi. I'm just like, no, you. But who has the power in that situation, right? Who has the power? I mean, if that car that I'm being, you know, somewhat, um, shall we say, less than Christ-like with, decides, you know what, I don't really like that guy. He seems a little smug. I'm just going to run him over. And he has the power. I have the authority. I have the legal right of way. I have the authority of what's right, but that person has the power. And this woman is standing in the middle of 41st Street, surrounded by people who are, you know, maybe slightly perturbed, with much more power than her, but she has the authority and she stands and she directs traffic as best she can. And so what we see is there's this profound difference between power and authority. Welcome to Ecclesia, friends. We're so grateful you're here. My name is Ian. I'm the pastor here. Uh, we're a brand new church. And we've been, we'll celebrate six months in just a couple of weeks. And it's been amazing to watch what God is doing. And right now we're in the middle of a vision series, just essentially asking the question, where is God leading us as a community? Where is he leading us to go? Because a vision involves looking at a, a trajectory and a destination going towards that. And also, what kind of people will we be on the journey? Who is God inviting us to be? And so as we're asking these questions, we want to see just how God is, is shaping us and positioning us. The beautiful thing is, as a brand new church, we are laying a foundation. We're creating a culture that will impact this church as it lives its life together and the community at large for years to come. But we have this amazing opportunity to build and to experiment and to say, God, what are you doing in our midst? And so this morning, we're in week two of a, a series we're simply calling a vision series. Last week, we saw the beautiful and expansive vision for the scriptures of how the word of God speaks worlds to life. The very first thing God does in the scriptures is he speaks. And then Jesus comes as the word of God, speaking a new and a fresh word to a world that is mired in sin and rebellion, creating a new creation, inviting new life to break out right in the middle of this life. And today we want to focus on our second kind of tent pole, the thing that we're seeing that this is, if we're going to be a certain kind of people, we're going to be this kind of people. We have five values and we'll kind of go through them all um, as we go through this series. The first one is simply words create worlds. And we put trust and power in the authority of God. The second one today 
is that we will, we, we will be a people who rely upon the Spirit of God. Now, when we talk about the Spirit, there's a couple of things going on. First of all, you may be in here and you're like, I don't believe in that stuff at all. Like, are we really going to talk about superstitions and myths? You're going to talk about some spiritual realm? But if you will, I think that as much as our culture can become a, a little bit reductionist, we can focus on things that we can measure and see, what we find is that there are just those things that we can't quite account for. Those things that we cannot name. Um, you know, if you've ever, we have words like vibes and mood. Just this overall sentiment of what's going on in the room. Even the atheist Sam Harris wrote, he's like, you know, as far as a word, as, as describing something, we can't really dispense with the spiritual. And so for us this morning, if you're like, yeah, I don't really do things I can't measure or see or touch or taste, if that's you, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Because we're going to dive into this authority that's available to us because God is who he says he is and because he's invited us into this sort of life. Now, a couple, a couple of other things that might be going on. There are those Christians among us, and maybe you grew up in an incredibly Pentecostal or charismatic church. Um, I went to a Pentecostal university called Oral Roberts University. And let me tell you, I was not always prepared for what unfolded when we met in chapel. And if you grew up in that environment, when we start talking about the Spirit, you may be sitting there saying, like, I want nothing to do with that. Because so often what happens is you see this group of people that are pursuing this like feeling and they're trying to, to almost like conjure up this emotion. And then you talk to people after the meeting or after the church service. And they're not the most loving people. They're not the most kind people. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. I just saw like you guys were all about the spirit of God, like pursuing this thing. And yet you're, you can't even do me the, the common courtesy of being, being loving or being kind. And so if, if that's you this morning, I'm hoping that I'm inviting you to reframe some things. Now there's a third group of us in here who functionally we believe that God is, is three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son. That Jesus did exactly as he said he did, that he poured out his Spirit upon us, that he is present with us. Functionally we believe that. But, but in our practices, we are effectively saying, yeah, that's not really, I don't really know what God is doing beyond what I can see and what I can sort of process. And so for me, I'm just going to kind of stick to what I know. And so for you, the spirit is like a frontier that you're like, it's kind of like the ocean. You're like, I'm sure there's a lot there, a lot underneath the surface, but there's also monsters and sharks there. So I'm just going to like, I'm going to chill here in the shallows. And so if you're kind of coming from any of those three streams, I want to just welcome you this morning. When Courtney and I started this church, we started with this hunger. And, you know, it's so beautiful. Sarah uh, just read a, uh, recited a brief reflection for us just about what, what we want to see God do in our church. And so many of the things that she said were so many of the things that for Courtney and I, my wife, when we started this church, these are the things we wanted to see. We wanted to see people coming to find faith. People that are so far beyond the scope of what God is doing in the world and they're finding Jesus and they're saying, yes, he is Lord, he is King. We want to see people find faith. We want to see people being cared for with self-giving love. We wanted to see relationships healed. We wanted to see bodies healed. People living mired in brokenness and sickness and addiction. 
We wanted to see new callings pursued. We wanted to create a place that unless God showed up, unless he was present here, that we had absolutely no chance of succeeding. That it was going to be a complete bet upon the power of God. And anything short of that, anything of God's presence, his spirit showing up, unseen and mysterious as it may be, anything short of that would mean we just didn't, this didn't take off. And today, Dave read from us from Romans 8. And I'm simply going to invite you to behold three aspects of God's spirit, the kind of spirit that God is calling us towards. And as we see what it means to live in the authority of Jesus, we see three things, an abiding spirit, an urgent spirit, and an overcoming spirit. So if you have a Bible, turn over to Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ himself. Paul writes to us, he says, this is what life in the Spirit looks like. This is what it looks like to live in light of what God has done. The first thing he says is to be a child of God is to be led by the Spirit of God. And so the vision for our life becomes what God is doing in our midst. It becomes God's presence itself. It becomes living into that reality. And then he says, the Spirit is not a spirit of fear that would cause us to fall back, but it is a spirit of adoption, a spirit of, of being a daughter and a son of God. Now, in the Bible, in the narrative of scriptures, there's a story about the children of Israel. And in, in the book of Exodus, they are completely overwhelmed, lost in slavery. They're having to work for Pharaoh, and, and to, they're literally the gears of the empire, building and, and working constantly. And in that moment, they're just saying, God, we, we, we have nothing left. We can't even cry out to you. And they're just groaning. They're just, just aching under the weight of slavery. And what it says in the beginnings of Exodus is that God hears. God hears their cries. And he makes a plan. He makes a, a, a way that he's going to save them, to bring salvation to them. And through a long course of events, he, he appoints this man named Moses and Moses goes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he begins to say, hey, look, I know we're enslaved by you. I know if it were just a battle of force that we would have no power, no ability to overcome what you could do to us. But here's the thing. God has instructed you to let these people go. And you have to understand, Pharaoh is living a pretty good life. Like, he gets his lawn mowed every week, like food is on the table, like he's completely disconnected from any of the labor, and he's looking around, he's like, you think I'm going to let my labor force go? Like, look at that building. You think I built that? No shot, right? So he's looking at Moses, and he's saying, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to keep doing the same thing we've been doing. We kind of like the way that order works for us, and so we're going to keep that in place. And there's this series of culminating and building events, and eventually God breaks Pharaoh's will. And Pharaoh says to Moses, he says, go, get out of here. And so the people leave. But then Pharaoh has second thoughts. He thinks to himself, you know, 
I really liked not having to work for a living. That was really good for me. And so he sends his army to chase after the children of Israel. The, the, the people of Israel have departed some day's journey. And Pharaoh's chariots and horses begin to catch up with him, or with them. And as the children of Israel continue to move away from Egypt, they come to the sea and they walk along the seashore and they look and they're like, we can't go anymore this way. And then they look behind them and off in the distance, they can see the dust from Pharaoh's chariots. They're literally stuck between the armies of Pharaoh and the ocean, the sea on the other side. And there's nowhere for them to go. And in that moment, we've all been there, right? Like that place where you just feel like, I'm stuck. Like if I choose this way, I lose. If I choose this way, I drown. We've been in that place where we just feel like we're without hope. And this is where God's word comes in and he says to Moses, raise your staff, I'm going to make another way. And so Moses obeys and he responds and he says, there's going to be another way. And God opens a way through the sea. God opens a way and makes a way when there was none. And this is the heart of what it means to live in the spirit of God. First thing, God gives us a spirit of abiding. God gives us a spirit that says, you are my child. Regardless of what you can do, regardless of how you can save yourself, I'm going to make a way for you. The foundation of our relationship to God is that God has saved us. We are his children. He has made a way when there is none. And so he opens up a way through the ocean and the people walk through the sea, walls of water on both sides. And as God opens this way, they take the first steps in what it will mean to be led by God. Because God can make a way. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He has opened up a way for every single person. All of humanity is invited to simply receive this different way that he has opened up. Jesus, the Son of God, giving his life on our behalf. Giving his life that where we had no hope because of our rebellion to God, where we had no hope because we could not save ourselves, Jesus has come and made a way. He has come to show us that the foundation of his love for us is salvation, that we are his children, his daughters, and his sons. And just as Jesus has extended the salvation, just as God extended the salvation to all of Israel back in Exodus, so Jesus has made a way. But we have to take a step into it. We have to take a step. Just the people of Israel were walking, and they're right up against the sea, and they see the seas parted, and you have to make a decision at that point, right? Like you have to say, I'm going to walk into this. Like it's weird that the waters have now parted, and there's a path between that. It's a little bit out of my normal experience, but I'm going to have to take a step. And this is what Jesus is inviting us towards. To receive the spirit of adoption, the spirit of abiding, is simply to turn from our own ways and to turn to him. To, to acknowledge the reality that we are God's. To, re, to acknowledge the reality that we are his children, his daughters, and his son. And the spirit of God, here in Romans 8, invites us invites us not only to salvation, not only to abide in him, but it invites us into Jesus' very way of relating to God. Jesus doesn't just save us. 
he invites us into this vibrant, incredible relationship with God. He says, Paul says, the Spirit of God causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. These words were from the prayer of Jesus in Mark's gospel when he's praying in the garden. Jesus is literally at his most vulnerable moment. And he cries out to God, Abba, Father. And this is a special way of relating to God. This is really what God Jesus killed. Is that he's claiming that God is his father. He's claiming that he has this special relationship to God. And the rabbis and the Pharisees are looking at Jesus like, who are you? But Paul is saying that just as Jesus has this incredible, incredible relationship to God that's been proven out by the resurrection of Jesus, so now he invites us into that relationship. He says the Spirit of God causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so the foundation, the spirit that God is trying to place in us is one of abiding. Friends, do you see how there's no striving in that? Do you see how there's nothing that you could earn? God has just done something so far beyond what we were asking for. And this is where it all starts. Jesus invites us into a relationship that is completely graceful, completely given gratuitously because God is so abundant in love that he would give himself for us. And so he's inviting us towards a spirit of abiding. Paul, at the end of that section, he just read, he says, and if you are children of God, verse 17, then you are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, this is amazing. Because think about this. If you had like a, a really good friend who just so happened to be like the Prince of Luxembourg, is that a thing? Is anybody familiar with Luxembourg politics? We are in Princeton, so it's not completely out of the question. Or like the princess of Monte Carlo, or I don't know. I'm going to stop. Thank you. I just, yeah, that was well-researched, and you just confirmed that. Uh, one of our history PhDs, we appreciate that. And that person just so happened to be the richest person in the world. And they're telling you, like, yeah, I mean, it's so cool. When I, you know, just because of who I am, because I'm an heir to this throne, I get $100 billion when my parents go on. And you're just like, wow, that's really great for you. And they're like, hey, you know what else, too? Just for living, just for being alive as the princess of Monte Carlo, which is a real thing, as we all knew, I get a billion dollars a month. Like, that's just part of my deal. And you're like sitting there like, cool, 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 cool. Um, can I borrow some money? Like that kind of thing. But here's, here's the thing. Then that, then that person turns to you and says, hey, you know what? Because you're my friend, because I just like you, like I'm going to go ahead and just invite you into my inheritance. So just as I'm the richest heir in, or heiress in all of the world, so are you. Like you're in on this. Like, this is what Paul is saying. Jesus is literally king of all the world, right? Like, in Acts, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He sits on a throne that is above everything. Like, this is who Jesus is. And Paul's saying, hey, that guy, that king of all the world, you are co-heirs with him. But there is a slight catch, and we will see in just a moment. Now, you could do a a little bit of a counterfactual here, and you, you like the New York Post basically makes their money on this, right? Like there's those inherit uh, those people that are heirs and heiresses that inherit a bunch of money, and then they just do nothing but be rich people. 
right? Like, are you the, like? There's a whole uh, industry in our society that's built up upon basically like you want to have contempt for people who have had an easy in life. We're going to tell stories about them in the gossip pages. You're going to read them. Like, this is reality TV, right? This is all of this. And you could see, like, Paul is saying that we are co-heirs with Christ. But, but our inheritance, this thing that Jesus is giving to us, this spirit that he's placed in us, is not so simply we can be blessed. It's not so simply we can live a good life. No, you, when you have that kind of resource, when you have that kind of power, you have a f- phenomenal responsibility, right? Like this is Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. And Jesus has deposited his life to ours. He's given us everything that he has. And all he's asking for us is to be people who respond as Jesus did, not to just sit in the blessing. You know, Paul writes elsewhere of Jesus that though he was equal to God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He emptied himself. And this is what Paul is going to say here in the second part of Romans 17. He says, he says, if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so also will we be glorified with him. Friends, the way of Jesus, his deposit on our lives, is so that we can suffer on behalf of the world. It's so that we can reveal the love of God by our willingness to lay down our own lives. This is the inheritance, the life that Jesus is inviting us into. And here's the beautiful thing. What we see because you, you, you hear that, you're like, okay, great. I'm going to have to sacrifice and suffer. And this is the life God has called me towards. But Jesus says in John 10, he says, I have come. I have come that you would live life to the full. And this is a verse that we have identified and prayed over as, as, as part of the heartbeat of this church. We want to live full lives. We want to see how God is king of every single sphere of our lives. Whether you're an artist or a teacher or a janitor or a gardener, God is above it all and he is in it all. He's bringing dignity and honor to everything that we do. And friends, Jesus is saying this full life is available to everybody who who takes on this spirit of adoption. But he also says in the next verse, he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life. And what Jesus is modeling there is he's saying the way to fullness, the way to a life that is abundant and overflowing is not by hoarding for yourself. It's by giving of yourself. It's by finding freedom in surrender. This is what Jesus is calling us towards. And so I think the next aspect of what it means to be a a child of the Spirit of God is to have a spirit of urgency. It says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And he goes on in verse 18. I'm going to read just a section of this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Listen to this, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning 
in labor pains until now. Friends, where do you see, where do you hear, where do you feel it yourself, the groaning? Paul says that all of creation is groaning, waiting for God to do something. It says waiting for the children of God to be revealed. And friends, I think, you know, one of the reasons we started this church was to see people find hope to see people find life, to, to, to see people who are groaning under the weight of suffering, to see another way, that we would live our lives as inheritors through the Spirit of God, that we would be the kind of people that model and live out of the authority of what Jesus has given us so beautifully that there would be hope extended to those that have none. And where do you see it? Where do you sense the groaning? Whether it's in a relationship with a coworker, somebody who's just without hope and you're like, I wish I could do something for that person. Whether it's a group of people that are suffering. You know, for us, we've, we've, we've come to know and gotten involved in a community of people in a place like Princeton where literally you drive down Library Place and you're like, who are these people that live in these houses? But there are people here that weekly do not have enough to eat. There are children that go to bed with hungry bellies. And for us, we hear that groaning. We hear the grumble in their tummy. And we say, Jesus has something for you because we are heirs. We are inheritors of God's spirit. And we want to live out of that authority. And friends, it's been so beautiful to see. Like, we don't have a ton of resources. We are a brand new church. But we are extending our resources towards that community and praying that God will bring life and will bring provision and will bring abundance because that's the kind of people that we are. But friends, where, Ecclesia, where do you hear the groaning? Where's the groaning of loneliness, of hopelessness? You know, like what's an opioid epidemic, but an expression that there is no future and because I have no future, I just want to medicate the pain away. Where do you hear the longing? Paul is saying that that is the place where the Spirit of God interacts with the Spirit of this world. So many people are being crushed out by the story of Western culture. That you should have everything that you want. That you should consume endlessly. That you can you know, basically live a life that is apart from your own life and be present in other places at all times. It's crushing people. How do we, as the people of God, as inheritors of the Spirit of Jesus, live beautifully, live communally enough to say that there is another way? Where have you heard the groaning? Where do you hear the longing? This, these are the places that Jesus is calling us towards. In a world without hope, a world groaning in bondage and decay, we have hope. Paul says that we've received this hope and yet still we wait for it. We live in this in-between time where hope is something that we've had deposited into our lives. We can see the future that God is calling us towards. But we also walk in hope towards a world that is aching in bondage. God is calling us. And I don't know about you, but I'm often overwhelmed by the, by the affairs of the world. You know, I was, I was a part of a conversation this week where people were just talking about their families and the brokenness that sort of exists in their orbit. And I, I couldn't even speak. I was so just like, I can't believe this is some people's reality. And these are friends that I'm listening to just describing what's going on in their extended family. And I'm often overwhelmed by that. 
But what I see in Romans 8, and maybe for some of you that are like me, you need to see is that this hope that Jesus offers, this hope that Jesus offers isn't just a nice idea. It is a sure and a steadfast hope. As Hebrews says, it is an anchor for our souls. And when we anchor ourselves in that hope, we begin to see what Paul describes at the end of this chapter that Dave read for us. So we're going to go on here in uh, chapter 8. He reads, or he writes in verse 28, he says, We know, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And then he goes on in verse 31, he says, What then are we to say about these things? These things that so often express the aching and the longing in this world. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not also give us everything else? Do you hear that? That is saying that Jesus has already done something that expresses that he will give all of himself, and he's not going to stop doing that at some point in the future. This is who God is. He goes on, verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything at all in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So friends, God wants to give us a spirit of abiding of just being his children, of knowing ourselves as his daughters and sons. He wants to give us a spirit of urgency that we would see and hear the groaning of the world and that we would go to those places and that we would, you know, as Paul says in verse 26, that we would pray even when we don't know what to pray for. It says that the spirit himself intercedes with longings too deep for words. And the last thing God wants to do for us is give us a spirit of overcoming a spirit of hope. Now, you have to understand, these letters that we're reading, this book of Romans, was a letter that was written to a church. Now, imagine you're sitting in a small, uh, you're sitting in like a courtyard in first century Rome, and you're with a little house church, and you're reading these words, you know, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's king of all the world. And just picture where you are. You're, at, you're in Rome, the center of the empire, you are worshiping a failed Messiah. Jesus was crucified by the Roman government. He was killed by them. He was defeated by them, at least they thought. And you're reading these words of hope that because of the resurrection of Jesus, that you have this world-changing hope that stands against all the stories of the Roman Empire, that stands against all the stories that would compete for time. And you're reading this, this letter it's like, no, in all these things, even though we're this small group of people sitting around this, this room in this like huge imperial city, even though it would seem by every account of our eyes that Rome is actually in charge. And Paul's saying, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. That we are more than what our eyes can see because of what Christ Jesus has done. Imagine the dissonance. But this is the way of hope. This is the way of God's hope in our lives and in our world. This is the hope that he's inviting us into, a spirit of overcoming. And friends, we, talk, we began talking about power and authority. 
And what I'm saying is not that you can somehow conjure up like, oh man, I'm gonna like, I'm going through this really hard thing. I really want to, to experience God's power. I want to overcome this. That's not what that is. You have an authority because of Jesus, because of what he's accomplished and who he is and who he has deposited in your life, his Holy Spirit, to have hope even in the darkest moments, to have hope even in the face of the strongest systems that we come up against as the people of God, the systems that so often present themselves in our American culture. We can have hope. And this is what it means for us, church, Ecclesia, to rely upon the Spirit of God. That we would be people who first know ourselves as God's children. That we would have an urgency walking towards the world. That we would hear the groaning and we wouldn't run away from it, but we would run towards it. And that even in the face of the most unlikely circumstances, we would be a people who have hope, who have a, a, a defiant and a radical expression that the world is not all that it appears to be. And self-giving love and the Spirit of God will always overcome the lowest depths and the highest heights, the most brokenness that we can endure. Friends, this is who God is calling this church to be. These are the people that God is shaping us to be, to be people who don't rely upon our own authority, our own ability, our own strategies, but trust that in the face of everything in this life, God has overcome. There is nothing that can separate us from God's beautiful love. Would you pray with me? Merciful God, you God, you have given us your authority in the world. And not as you demonstrated throughout your life, your authority is not one that you you come down and you wield in the face of people who are less than you. God, your authority is 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 shown by the way that you lay yourself down. So God, when we talk about being people who are reliant upon your spirit, Lord, we are reliant upon your power in this world. We're reliant upon what you are doing in our midst. So God, would you shape us? Would you help us to see that that our spirits, God, our spirits need your authority, God, need your truth over us, that we are your children, your daughters, and your sons. Lord, would you help us? Would you give us of yourself that we would cry out, Abba, Father? Lord, would you give us an urgency in the world? God, an impulse not to spend our time on ourselves, God, but to move towards the groaning and the longing in the world. And God, as we move, would we go as people who are, have set all of our hope, as Peter writes, on the grace of Christ Jesus, that we would be people of defiant hope, that against the stories that our world would tell, we know the true story of all the world is that you are crucified, dead, and buried. And then on the third day, you rose again, and you are king of all the world. Lord, we declare this gospel, and we live into it. It's your name we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.